0: Good evening. It's 6 o'clock and you are tuned to KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's time for the KVMR Evening News. My name is Claudio Mendoza. Tonight, after the national public radio headlines, the California Report's Lily Jamali speaks to Sacramento Bee's Ryan Sabalow about how Placer County Sheriff Devin Bell touched off a media frenzy in January by overruling a health official and announcing that a county resident had died hours after being vaccinated. Then, we'll look at regional news and weather before diving into the world of economics. First, Paul Emery speaks with retired Federal Reserve senior economist Gary Zimmerman about inflation. And then, Mark Kuniberti closes the newscast with a commentary about capitalism. For their generous support, we thank Carmen's Garden and Greenhouse. Locally owned since 2012 on Loma Rica Drive in Grass Valley. Stocking greenhouse frames, coverings and components, down-to-earth amendments and IPM products. Open Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. K-A-R-M-E-N-S garden.com Here are tonight's NPR News headlines.
1: Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. For millions of Americans, it means they will continue to receive a paycheck, even if their company is struggling. President Biden today signing an extension of the Paycheck Protection Program first put in place last summer and now continued into this year. Biden saying for many, including minority-owned businesses, help is on the way. We're pushing
2: uh, lenders to raise their game and provide more help to the small, many small businesses you know, particularly Hispanic as well as African-American small businesses are just out of business because they got bypassed the first time around.
1: Biden hailed the program as a bipartisan accomplishment, which the president says will mean hundreds of thousands of people will be able to keep their jobs and small businesses will be able to remain open. The latest in a series of attacks against Asians in New York City is being investigated as a hate crime. A 65-year-old woman in midtown Manhattan was severely beaten. Sally Herships reports a video that captured the attack also shows bystanders not taking any action.
3: The video was shot through the door of an apartment building. It shows a man standing in the lobby, watching as a woman on the sidewalk gets kicked and stomped on the head. Another man closes the building's door, leaving the woman lying on the ground. The management company for the building did not immediately respond to a request for comment. But in an Instagram post, the Brodsky organization says it condemns all forms of violence and racism against the Asian-American community and that staff who witnessed the attack have been suspended. According to the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism, anti-Asian crimes in America's largest cities rose almost 150 percent last year, while overall hate crimes were down by 6%. Sally Hersheps, NPR News. A
1: three-judge panel has been assigned to hear Alabama's federal lawsuit that's trying to move up the release of the 2020 census results, which are used to redraw voting districts. NPR's Hansi Wong reports the Census Bureau says it's delaying the release to make sure the results
0: are in fact accurate. The three-judge court hearing Alabama's latest census lawsuit is made up of only Trump appointees. Rulings can be appealed directly to the U.S. Supreme Court. The Census Bureau says it needs until August to sort through income Complete responses after the pandemic and last minute changes by Trump officials upended last year's headcount. Alabama's lawsuit is also trying to stop the Bureau from using a new way of keeping personal information in anonymized census data confidential, which Alabama argues will make the data unusable for redistricting. It's not clear exactly how differential privacy will affect the redrawing of voting maps because the Bureau has not yet finalized its plans. Le Wong, NPR News. U.S. consumers
1: are more confident heading into this month. The business research group, the Conference Board, reporting its Consumer Confidence Index jumped more than 19 points this month to its highest level since the onset of the coronavirus pandemic. Stocks lost ground on Wall Street today. The Dow down 104 points. The Nasdaq fell 14 points. This is NPR. The National Football League says it will expand its regular season from 16 games to 17 starting this year. NFL owners approve the plan today. NPR's Tom Goldman reports it's the first such change since 1978.
0: The NFL says the schedule expansion is historic. It's also, not surprisingly, lucrative for players, too. But many still worry about the increased risk of injury. In a conference call, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell noted the overall number of games won't change since teams will play one less contest in the preseason, which Goodell says is statistically more dangerous.
2: The highest rate of injury is actually in a preseason game of any of our games even our practices
0: Owners got the right to expand the regular season in last year's collective bargaining agreement approved by the players although the union vote was close a union official says automatic changes to workout schedules will help keep players healthy Tom Goldman, NPR News.
1: Online sports betting company DraftKings is agreeing to buy the Vegas Sports Information Network for an as yet undisclosed price. Deal giving DraftKings access to a multi platform broadcasting content company delivering sports betting, news analysis, and data to U.S. customers. The acquisition provides more content for DraftKings, which has retail or online betting operations in 14 states. Continues what's become a trend of sports betting and gaming companies acquiring broadcast partners in an effort to reach more potential betting customers. Oil prices snapped a two-day winning streak, crude oil futures falling a dollar and one cent a barrel to sixty fifty-five a barrel. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News.
3: This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. Vaccine eligibility is expanding in California this week, although health officials across the state are warning that supplies might be limited. Starting on Thursday, Californians ages 50 and up can get their shot. And on April 15th, anyone 16 and older will be eligible for a vaccine. The state is expecting to get an increase in vaccine doses starting this week, but that is unlikely to keep up with the number of people who are now eligible under the new vaccination guidelines. Under those new guidelines, people can bring adult family members to get vaccinated if one person has an appointment. But as KPCC's Jackie Fortier reports, LA County isn't ready to do that across the board. Expanding eligibility to family members of someone with an appointment is part of an attempt to accelerate the inoculation of communities disproportionately ravaged by the virus. We're a little worried about trying to do this at a large pod. That's LA County's Chief Science Officer Paul Simon. He says too many unregistered people could create a bottleneck.
4: If you have a a car with one person who has an appointment, but then multiple other people in the car that uh, haven't registered, it takes some time to, to register folks. So we're worried about just immediately rolling that out everywhere.
3: Instead, Simon says L.A. County will send extra doses to a couple of its smaller sites for now. The county is expecting a significant increase in doses this week, although officials caution it will still take months to get shots in the arms of everyone who wants to be vaccinated. For The California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. We're going to go to Placer County now, where the sheriff's office is under scrutiny for spreading misinformation about the COVID-19 vaccine. In January, Sheriff Devin Bell made international headlines after announcing a local man had died hours after getting the shot. Autopsy results pending at the time later showed that wasn't true. Earlier, I spoke with reporter Ryan Sabelow of the Sacramento Bee, which obtained emails between the sheriff's office and Placer County public health officials.
4: It was picked up by Chinese state media, Fox News had a piece on it, and you got to remember when this uh, came out, I mean, this was right as the vaccines were starting to roll out. So people were, were nervous, and there were a few reports out there of people suddenly getting allergic reactions or even dying after receiving these vaccines, but, you know, these horror stories that were coming out hadn't all the way gotten through kind of like what the official cause of death was, right?
3: So when you uh, set out to get these records, uh, what you're really looking for is what was the debate like between the Placer County Sheriff's Office and the public health officials in the county? What did you learn after looking through these emails?
4: Initially, the, the county declined to release any of these, and so we had to get our attorneys involved. And once we got the first batch of emails, it became pretty clear that the director of the Health and Human Services Agency, Dr. Ron Oldham, had some really big concerns about this. Uh, He actually had an email exchange with the undersheriff and and urged him, we feel like this is way premature, we really wish you wouldn't do it, but he said by that point the sheriff's office mind was already made up. So to try to kind of limit the damage, the emails show that he... Uh, helped actually craft the statement that went out on Facebook. And meanwhile, as all that's going on, you see that he's emailing the governor's top health officials, basically giving them a heads up. He's emailing county health officers all around, kind of giving them all a heads up that this is coming. Because as expected, it becomes news when a coroner's office says somebody died right after getting a vaccine.
3: Ryan, what have we learned from this experience? I mean, this is a case study in what not to do, it sounds like.
4: Yeah, I mean, a week later, the sheriff had to put out a second statement basically saying the person did not die from the vaccine. And when I talked with experts in in this world, you know, one of the things they say is that that's the challenges when you vaccinate millions and millions of people, right? Or if you give any medication to millions and millions of people, Mm. inevitably... When you have those huge numbers, bad things are going to happen to some of those people immediately after getting the shot or taking a drug or whatever, and it takes time to figure out whether that's indeed the cause of death or not. And in this case, um, it, it, it wasn't the cause of death, and uh, and so we. I think if there's a lesson to be learned from any of this stuff, as your listeners are are hearing information about the vaccines, um, wait till the official cause of death is known um, until jumping to any sort of conclusions.
3: That was Ryan Sabalow with the Sacramento Bee.
5: Support for the California Report comes from the law firm Perkins Coie, a trusted legal advisor to innovative companies and industry leaders throughout California and the world. Learn more at perkinscoie.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. And Hint, fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors, like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from
2: drinkhint.com.
3: Starting today, renters in Los Angeles can apply for up to $10,000 in relief through the city's COVID-19 Emergency Rental Assistance Program. This is the second round of funding provided by the city. Of the $259 million, 235 million is designated for direct rental assistance, with the rest going to eviction defense. Here's L.A. City Council President Nuri Martinez. A year into the pandemic, 90,000 Californians are still behind their rent. The city's unemployment is still over 10 percent, and families in our city owe anywhere between $4,000 and $7,000 in past rent due. Funding is available for people who live in Los Angeles who have been impacted by the pandemic or been unemployed for more than 90 days. They also have to have a combined household income at or below 50 percent of the area median income. Finally this morning, the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk will begin to reopen rides this Thursday. Starting with the Giant Dipper, the roller coaster was built in 1924, making it the oldest in California. That ride and others will be open only to California residents. Other restrictions include mandatory face coverings, social distancing and capacity limits. The boardwalk is already open for eating, shopping, and outdoor games. In Southern California, Pacific Park on the Santa Monica Pier has announced it's preparing to reopen its rides, but hasn't said exactly when. And that is the California Report for this Tuesday, March 30th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Dramali.
0: Hopes for a March miracle have dissipated, with the Sierra Nevada snowpack remaining at about 60% of average, the same as when the month began. The State Department of Water Resources will conduct a manual snow survey this Thursday, with early April typically being the time the snowpack reaches its deepest level. Both state and federal water projects announced last week they would reduce or delay deliveries due to the dry winter and other restrictions. Nevada County Transit Services announced today that it's inviting proposals from artists for original artwork as part of a transit rebranding project. This call for artists is supported by the Nevada County Arts Council and launched in anticipation of California Arts, Culture, and Creativity Month in April. Artists are encouraged to create a visual representation of their version of Nevada County in the form of a design. The deadline to submit artwork is April 30th, 2021, and more information can be had at mynevadacounty.com busart. The University of Southern California announced today that our state has reached a digital milestone as nearly 91% of its households have high-speed internet access. Despite these gains, the latest survey also reveals that some low-income Californians are caught in the digital divide. are unconnected, and 10% depend on smartphones. They lack home internet just when schools, jobs, and even medicine have moved their services online in response to the coronavirus pandemic. Daily coronavirus cases are growing here in Nevada County. The Union of Grass Valley reports that the county recorded another 16 cases today, bringing the new total to 4,272. In regional weather... In the Nevada City and Grass Valley region, tonight clear with a low around 44. Tomorrow will be sunny with a high near 78. And in Truckee and the Lake Tahoe area, tonight clear and cold with a low around 19 degrees. Tomorrow will be sunny with a high near 60. And finally, in Woodland and Sacramento, tonight also clear with a low around 48. Tomorrow the valley will be sunny with a high near 83. Coming up, Paul Emery chats with Gary Zimmerman about inflation and how the Fed is keeping the interest rates low in hopes of boosting the current economic recovery. This economic report is sponsored by Rick Kelb, Wealth Management Advisor
2: with Northwestern Mutual since 1983 on Spring Street, Nevada City at rickkelb.com. Well, welcome back to KVMR, Gary. Uh, So I'm going to talk about inflation or concerns about inflation that have been in the news lately. Uh, Both uh, the Federal Reserve Chair Jay Powell and Treasury Secretary Yellen have been commenting on inflation as well. Uh, So what about inflation and how are economists uh, measuring it at this point?
5: Well, thank you, Paul. Yes, inflation has been in the news as the Fed keeps interest rates low to boost the economic recovery from the COVID-19 recession. And now Congress has passed and President Biden has signed the COVID economic relief package that's going to provide government fiscal policy support to boost the recovery. And, you know, that support in recent weeks we has given, you know, we've also seen some upward movement from the very low U.S. Treasury bond rates and those rising treasury bond rates are they're, they're back up to what they were before COVID now. Um, you know, is, is something that folks often will look at and think about, you know, inflation and potential inflation. So that's a, a signal the markets have been, you know, talking about in recent weeks, months, I guess, a couple months.
2: Okay, Gary, a very basic question. What is inflation (laughs) and why is it important? Inflation,
5: Paul, is basically a change in the overall price level. Um, The inflation measures that economists follow are basically designed to measure the cost of a a basket of goods and services that consumers typically purchase over a period of time, like like a year, and they then can use that to track how the overall price level in the economy is behaving. Is it you know, is it rising? Is it flat? Or is it is it falling? And uh, and today we want to know how fast that you know overall price level is rising. Um, is it closer to the one percent a year that we've seen in some recent years, or is it at two percent? The the Fed's average goal for inflation today, or or could it be at 10% a year? You know, 10 percent would be a level that would cause a cause a significant disruptions and force everyone to start to adjust to a, a rapidly changing price level in the economy and rapid increases in an overall inflation rate. And that's, you know, that's somewhere we don't want to go. So, uh, remember also that you know, to measure the real output, uh, what the economy produces in a year, we need to know how much of that increase in spending is is just inflation or change in the price level rather than an an actual increase in in real goods and services that are produced.
2: Okay, Gary. Now, it seems to me that in the 70s, inflation was much higher than it was in 2020. 2020. Uh, why was that a problem?
5: <laughs> Good memory, Paul. Uh, you must be remembering the 12 to 15 percent a year inflation rate in the late 1970s and early 80s, you know, depending on which measure you're looking at. And that caused businesses and lenders and borrowers and households, consumers basically to to spend considerable amount of time and resources just trying to figure out what the real price changes were. And just what the rising level of overall inflation was, Um, you know, stopping that inflation was also costly. It took very high interest rates in the economy. Um, You probably remember the 20 percent prime interest rate uh, on business loans or the 18 percent Mortgage rates, you know, and that, you know, that also you know, came with two serious recessions over a period of several years to try and bring down the inflation rate to a three to 5% range that, you know, eventually led to today's low inflation rates. So so yes, that, you know, high and rising inflation in the 70s and early 80s was a problem for the economy and, and the high interest rates and recessions that brought down inflation, you know, caused large costs to the economy for years in terms of high unemployment, you know, unemployment rate peaked at over 11%. You know, in businesses and factories, we're operating below capacity, or in some cases, not at all. So that, you know, that's a problem.
2: So, Gary, how high has inflation been running over the past year or so? Is it still below the Fed's two percent goal?
5: Yes, Paul. The what I call the PCE um, inflation number is running. Uh, for for the total basket of goods and services running about one point six percent over the past year, February to February. So, you know, measured inflation generally remains low. And and most of the measures of expected inflation all seem to be relatively well anchored near the Fed's, you know, 2% inflation goal. So that's that's a plus as well.
2: Okay, Gary, sometimes I hear criticisms of the inflation numbers because it might exclude items like, say, food and energy. Why would economists measure inflation without including these really important goods that we all buy every week?
5: Ouch, Paul. That that is an excellent question, though. There are Different measures of most inflation indexes. The total ones include the all basket of all goods and services, including food and energy. And the total indexes are published, you know, from, from almost all of the inflation indexes. But food and energy um, are relatively volatile. They move around more than most other types of prices. And so agencies also usually calculate a core inflation rate that excludes the food and energy category, and they can, you know, measures um, what's called core inflation. And because the core inflation numbers don't include the volatile food and energy prices, the core inflation data tend to show um, be a little more stable over time. They don't show wide swings like the total index does when energy prices or food prices spike. So you can often get a better sense of the overall trend in inflation by looking at the movements over time in the core index. So that's why economists look at, at both of them, actually. And it's also important to, to know that you know over time, both the total indexes and the core indexes tend to move together and and end up at about similar
2: levels. Okay, Gary, uh, one more question. Uh, Didn't the Fed policymakers provide new inflation estimates after their March meeting? I mean, how high are the inflation rates uh, that they were projecting for 2021 and 2022?
5: Yes, Paul. E- each quarter, the Fed policymakers release their projections for the economy over the next few years. And these projections are very useful for getting a, a solid forecast on where the economy is going, where inflation is likely to go, and um, and also gives a sense of what the policymakers think are the expected you know, short-term interest rates that the Fed controls, what they're going to be. So uh, the policymakers' median projections for March 2021, a week or so ago, uh, were that we would you know see the projections basically show that they expect inflation will remain low um, and near the feds average inflation goal although it will be probably a little bit higher in in 2021 and then drop back down towards the feds goal in 2022 so their inflation uh median inflation projection for 2021 is now 2.4 percent that was up from you know 1.8 percent um in december of last year and um that in 2022 they're expecting it to drop back down to 2%. So, you know, they're seeing a temporary increase in inflation in 2021 as the economy picks up speed. As the economy grows, you know, they're expecting rapid growth in 2021. So, it makes some sense. Um, but as the economy moves back towards a more normal rate of growth, the inflation numbers they're expecting to to <laughs> come back down towards their 2% goal. So, in 2022.
2: Gary, thank you so much and look forward to our next chat. You're welcome, Paul. Thank you. Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the Federal Reserve in San Francisco and currently is a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria, where he teaches courses in
0: economics and finance. You can hear Paul Emery's full interview with Mr. Zimmerman on our website. Next, Mark Kuniberti shares his thoughts on capitalism.
6: Welcome to Money Matters. My name's Mark Cunaberti. Capitalism is the allocation of goods and services. It is argued capitalism is the best method to accomplish earthly allocation, assuming the following two premises, that there is a limited amount of resources on the planet, and all things considered, human wants have an unlimited and insatiable appetite for consumption. Explaining the first premise is easy and should be obvious. There is simply not enough of everything to give everything to everyone, whether it be chickens in every pot, lobsters on a plate, fancy cars or houses. There is simply not enough raw material and labor in the world to fulfill everyone's needs and desires. Although some may debate separating out needs from desires, the argument is subjective and as a result can only be argued. That being said, the economic term for this premise is called scarcity. Scarcity refers to the basic economic problem, the gap between limited, that is scarce, resources and theoretically limitless wants. The situation requires people to make decisions about how to allocate resources efficiently in order to satisfy basic needs and as many additional wants as possible. That explanation from Wikipedia. I couldn't have said it better myself. The above definition also nicely addresses premise two that human wants are unlimited. That is valid whether the combination of needs versus wants is debated. The sum of the two are insatiable due to our human nature. When a finite amount of stuff meets an unlimited amount. of desire, the problem of allocation arises, and it's a real one. Capitalism is a method by which allocation is managed. Some would argue the earth contains enough for everyone, but the reality is that location, seasonable availability, and other limiting factor may still make the condition of limited supply valid. In any case, the study of economics does accept the principle of scarcity, which is a limited amount of goods and services, meaning an unlimited amount of desire for these things. Although many economic systems have attempted to allocate such limited goods fairly the fairly part is always subject to human weakness and usually not very fair the basic thought is who is the one making the decision as to what is equal in a fair distribution there is always disagreement among those being allocated and those doing the allocating hence the problem and it is an ancient one enter capitalism its system unmolested accomplishes the allocation problem quite succinctly as those trying other systems instead quickly discover capitalism is in its simplest form someone buying something from somebody else both of whom are in agreement as to the terms of the transaction Everything else is an offshoot of this basic transaction. There is always two parts of a transaction where each party must perform for the other. Swapping an apple for an orange is a trade, also known as a barter. If the terms are not agreeable to both, the transaction is not possible. In barter, a direct swap is agreeable to both parties. If barter is not possible for whatever reason, a reasonable facsimile is used. Currency is usually this facsimile provide an apple for this much currency and one person walks away with what they want, which is the apple, while the other walks away with the means to acquire what they want at a later date, using the currency to acquire it. The basic concept of supply versus demand is therefore illustrated. Barter is a balance of supply and demand, a single transactional swap. A currency is used when a swap is not possible and there exists an imbalance of supply and demand for whatever reason. Capitalism, using the tool of currency, Currency addresses supply and demand through sheer possession. Much like a swap, where a person with an orange swaps a person with an apple, currency just replaces the apple with a means to an end that will accomplish the swap at a later date. Although capitalism is often misaligned to persons with excess amounts of currency, otherwise known as the rich, no one ever seems to chastise the successful farmer with a lot of apples. Although the two things are the same. Having an overabundance of apples is like having an overabundance of cash. One is swapped for the other, but nobody ever seems to mind the industrious farmer. The old saying goes, no one is poor because someone else is rich. That could be said of two men with differing amount of apples. Why does one have more apples than the other? I will leave that to your imagination. That's it for today's Money Matters. Views expressed in my opinions only and may not necessarily reflect those of this station at staff, management, or underwrite. I hold California Insurance License OL34249 and am a Medicare-approved agent in the state of California. Our website is com, where everything is free. My name is Mark Levert.
0: That's our newscast for tonight, Tuesday, March 30th, 2021. Stay with us. Lots more coming your way. Next, it's Food Sleuth, followed by Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman at 7 p.m. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for listening and have a wonderful evening. Stay safe.